You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Listeners, welcome to this edition of the Essential Apple. Sorry there wasn't a show last week. Um, I was feeling a bit under the weather and uh, didn't really fancy doing a show. And I was going to record a show early in the week um, and put out, but uh, life got in the way. A variety of things came along and took up my time. And uh, when it got to Thursday, it wasn't really worth the effort. I thought I might as well wait until Sunday when somebody could join me. So here we are. And this week, Nick is here. Hello, Nick. Hello. And in the words of um, Marvin, the paranoid android, life. Don't talk to me about life. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Well, funny old week uh, news-wise, but um, first, the biggest news of all, um, I probably shouldn't have, really, but um, my contract on my 10R came to an end, and... uh, my boy is desperately in need of a phone because his uh, iPhone 8 that he's had for some time was smashed and broken and given up working. Had a rough life. Um, so I thought, why not? I'll, uh, I'll take up their offer of having a new iPhone 13 with a little bit more data for a little bit less money a month. And so a new iPhone 13 uh, is in my possession. Um, Yahoo! Yahoo! Um, And very nice phone it is. Very nice phone it is. Um, All did not go that smoothly, though, I'm afraid, I have to say. Yeah, well, I started off, it started off really promisingly. I turned it on and it said, uh, would you like to transfer from your old device? Simply bring it near your old device and follow the instructions, which is like tap here to transfer. And it started off, it started off really promisingly because, as you know, I run the betas. And in the past, what you would get is you would go to set up your new phone and then it would say, can't restore your backup because it's on a newer operating system. So then you would have to install, right, set up the phone or basically set the phone up, get it up to the, uh, you sign it up to the beta program, install the beta, then wipe the phone, restore your backup and there you were. So bit of a fag. So it started off quite pleasingly in that the first thing it did was it said, your old phone is on the Apple beta. Would you like me to install the beta on this phone? So you just tap, yes, please. And it does it, did it all itself, um, which was great. That was really, really good. So I thought, okay. Then it says um, something like transferring your apps. And it sat there and it sat there. And it, I could see that all the apps were marked as waiting. So they were not downloading. So then it said something about signing to iCloud. Um, then it all started to go peak toll, I'm afraid. Um, first of all, I signed into iCloud. It didn't want to sign into iCloud. So anyway, a bit of faffing about with that. I finally managed to get it because it wants to verify and it, it got, you know, send something to your watch or whatever. Anyway, eventually I got it to sign in and then the app started downloading. And then it said, do you want to transfer your watch from your old phone to your new phone? 
which yes you do because take it from me doing it the manual way is a right pain you have to unpair it which takes about an hour then you have to uh repair it which takes like another hour and then you know oh and then you have to restore your backup well that's where it really went wrong because it just started behaving really strangely um it would like send me a send me a code but that watch wasn't showing the boxes to input the code or the watch would be showing me a box to input a code and Apple weren't sending me a code. And after about an hour of screaming at it to just bloody work, I gave up, went back and did the watch the hard way, which meant I had to unpair it, repair it, restore it, right drag. Um, Oh, dear. Bloody, it was all so promising. It was all so promising, Nick. And then, once I'd finally got it all done, then I still had to bloody sign out of iCloud and back into iCloud, and you know it would. So what's the what? What's the difference between? So if I bought a new phone, I would just sign into iCloud and then let it do what it was going to do. And it will say, "Do you want to restore from your backup?" Or you can do Um, a device to device transfer, which. um, But what about if you haven't got an old phone or? Can, well, you, it, can you just not do that? I mean, what what extra does the restore give you that just connecting it to iCloud doesn't? If you do it um, phone to phone, yeah, uh, it's supposed to transfer a few things that iCloud don't store. Um, I'm oh, not sure. okay. Oh, is is this health stuff and that kind of thing? Yes, it will. I'm um, not that I use the health stuff, but it yeah, it will restore your health. It will, copy over things that iCloud doesn't back yeah. up. The last time the last time I bought an iPhone, I don't rem- I I'm pretty sure I just set it up, logged into iCloud and then left it for an hour or two yeah. while it downloaded all if the you, if programs you don't, and Yeah. And there's certain passwords I think that it, it um it will restore for you if you do it phone to phone. I mean Right. To be fair, once I got it um after I got it to connect to iCloud, I actually resorted to turning off my old phone because it was sort of seemed to be confused as to which phone it was on. Right. Yeah. So I turned off my old phone and then it completed the rest of that pretty much okay because it downloaded all the apps and everything from the from iCloud. Yeah, but then you had all the faff with your watch. With as me watch. Well. Oh, which I mean I just had to do it the manual way. Um whereas in theory I could see it was trying to do it because it wanted to give me a code to enter on the watch to yeah. verify to effectively link them together. Yeah. To verify that I was that doing it. Was your it. watch. But it's my watch <laughs> and that was the yeah. device I wanted to pair it to and then it was supposed to transfer it, but it just got its knickers in a twist and, and it kept showing me things that like the watch wasn't matching to what the phone was showing me, or vice versa. Um so I gave up mm. in the end, but that was that's not, evening. That's not, of... that's not good, though, is it? I mean, no. it, you would hope that if if you're making backups, the whole point is that if you then need those backups, you can rely on them. <laughs> and if it just sort of won't work, well, that yeah, that's not good. It it, it sort of got ninety eight percent of the way, I think. But at one point, I ended up with all of my. <laughs> that's a little bit like saying. Installing an operating system got to ninety eight percent. Yeah, it's, <laughs> not quite. it's not much use if it doesn't do the last two. 
I'm sure it was something to do with iCloud because, as per usual, you know, I got into iCloud. And you've had was... problems with iCloud, haven't you? Yeah, in the past. And it started saying, you need to verify your iCloud. It's like, well, you've just signed me into iCloud. And, um, oh, yeah. So by the end of the evening, I was extremely rattled and not at all happy <laughs> with the whole thing. Anyway, it got it settled down um, after that. And uh, since then, it's been fine. As far as I can tell, Good. I've reported one bug, um, which I'm assuming is due to the beta. Um, I was making a phone call. And, you know, if you like want to go and look at your notes or, or look something up on yeah. the web, you can go to another app and you get that little green lozenge in the pill in the top of the um, yeah. in the top right hand corner. And if you want to go back to the phone screen, you should tap that and it should go you back. Just tap on it. Yeah. Well, when That's I right. tapped on it, the screen would go black and then go back to the whatever app I was in. Um, oh, <laughs> it would flash like Whoops. the screen would go off and on. No, do no harm, but just leave you where you were. It wouldn't switch. Yeah. Wouldn't switch back to the phone app. So I had to do it with the app switcher. I mean, you do it by swipe up and choose the phone screen. But so I reported that to Apple, which did, it just plain wasn't working. And um, I don't know if that was a thirteen thing or a new beta thing or what. But there you go. Hence our uh, discussions on Slack about. Um merging accounts and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of those areas that Apple have never really fully got screwed down in my opinion. It, it, no. I it's, mean the... it's a bit sad really that that it that that there are lots of legacy users like us who have either more than one account or originally started off with an iTunes account and then that got converted into an iCloud account or Yeah. And it's and it's just become a mess. I'm so sure I have to I have two separate accounts. Um one for my email, which is a bit weird. One for my email and one for ev- almost everything else. And I, I think my calendar works on that as well. So basically my email calendar, uh, what else is in there in that section? Uh, calendar. What, keychain probably? Maybe it is just, a, yeah, maybe, are, are under one account. But all my purchases are under another one. Yeah. And and my Mac and my and my my Mac is logged into the other account as well. So it, it's a bit of a mess, really. Yeah. And Apple really ought to be able you ought to just be able to hand it to them and say, look, you see these two accounts. Yeah, yeah. I'm I... quite happy to do any verification you like. Just merge them. Just put them together. <laughs> so I can you? just have one. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the rot in the transfer started when it came to wanting to download the apps from the app store because i use a different account for the store we have like a family account that we use to buy things from the app store so that there's only one account so if i buy something on the app store then you know anywhere else in my family because we started doing this years before family sharing was a thing so if you buy something anybody in the family who wants it can have it all right if you buy a game say um anyone can install it on their device um and I don't actually want to change that. that. That works perfectly fine for us. Thank you very much. But I'm sure the problem yeah. was that during the transfer, it then tried to connect to the App Store with my iCloud account. Yeah, with the wrong account, effectively. Yeah. And, of course, none of the stuff that I, is on my phone, you know, installed on my phone, none of the third-party devices installed on my phone are bought with that account. I mean, so, in many ways, iCloud has become a little bit like the proverbial um, legacy piece of software. It started off as a good idea, but it's grown a little bit um, topsy-turvy because they kept adding features to it. And Yeah, and then... And, got... and, and, and 
and then with multiple accounts thrown in on top of that, it just becomes a bit of a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, it's a, a black box. When it goes wrong, there's very little you can yeah. do. You, yeah. you know, That's and right. if you do, I want to log out. It will give you all those scary messages about do you want to save your contact or you know they'll all be deleted and all that sort of thing, which often leads to you getting duplicate all your account, all your contacts getting duplicated because you sign out and say yes, please save them, and then when you log back in, it installs them all back again, so they're all in there twice. Oh yeah, I mean my my calendars are I, because you end up with an iCloud account and your i your iCloud. I don't understand quite. You end up with an iCloud account, which just says iCloud.com on it in calendars. And you also end up with my one of my IDs yeah, with calendars on it. And I I never quite understood it. And as you say, you end up with lots of duplication all over the place. And you switch one off and then you suddenly realise, because it's not immediately obvious which, which one you're adding them to, you end up with some in one and some in the other. And the, Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it's um, unfortunately this whole area is one that Apple have really sort of neglected to a certain extent, and as a consequence, it's just become a bit of a minefield. Yep. So there you go. But anyway, I have a shiny iPhone 13 in midnight. Excellent. Um, just the standard one, 128. Which colour did you go for? Yeah, midnight black. In other words. Ah, right. Yes. <laughs> People have said it's got midnight. a got a diff you know it's got a hint of blue in it or something i can't see it, it just looks the same bloody space gray or black or call it what you will you know and now i put <laughs> i got a, i got a clear um o2 offered me a, a clear tpu case uh for it but like do you want to add 10 pounds to your phone bill and we'll send you a, a, a clear tpu case to go on it which is what i use yes. what i usually buy you know they're about i don't know sort of. these names for colors are amusing aren't they i was talking oh, yeah. to my brother about it and they've they've been having some decorating done and uh he said we went in and i had to look at some of the paint and it was very expensive paint and it had really exotic names oh, and he said yeah. one of them which i thought was com- the most ridiculous one was one called elephant breath <laughs> <laughs> he said, who stood there and measured the colour of elephant breath, for goodness sake? Oh, just, yeah, dear, oh, dear. Oh. Uh, he said, it's a subtle shade of grey, but, but yeah, I, that, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, elephant hide might have been better. But anyway, there you go, whatever. Well, yeah, I, I, when I was having my, uh, when, I, when I was having some decorating done, because uh, a typical man, I've no idea what, I mean, creamish will do for me you know i really don't mind what some kind of i don't know beigey sort of thing uh and he gave me this color chart and it had about 15 different types of beige and he said which one do you want and i said can't you choose this he said no i can't you've got to choose that for yourself (laughs) and so i said oh i sort of closed my eyes and went that one that one will do it's beige yeah yeah oh dear uh, De- decision so, paralysis. Yes. Mid- midnight, eh? Midnight. Yeah, midnight. Black. I always have black. I did think about getting a red one momentarily. I thought, shall I get a red one? And I thought, yeah, I've got a red. My my elevens are red. I quite I quite like the red. But there we go. But Each in the end, I thought I thought about it. I toyed with the idea, and I went, no, I'll just have black, same as I always have black. Yeah, my oh. new car's going to be red. So looking forward to that. Oh dear. So there we go. That was that. Um. 
So that's my tale of sort of, I, well, as I said in... Tale of woe. Tale of woe. <laughs> well, frustration, really, because yeah. it set off so nicely and I was expecting to just watch the wheel go round a bit and tap a couple of yes, please, carry on, and then it all went to hell. And You I know would, what Jim said. Yeah, you know get a nine-pound hammer. It just works. Yeah, it just works. <laughs> get a nine-pound hammer. Yeah, and I ended up having to verify things and, oh, dear. And then ended up doing half of it by hand anyway. So there we are. Um, so what else have we got? Uh, Mr. German is at it again. I've got two links here, one to Autoblog and one from the Irish Examiner, which is Mark German, Apple's car deadline of 2025 fits with the company's playbook. And we were talking about this before we actually started recording, weren't we, Nick? Now, allegedly, yeah. you know, this is our friend Mr. German. Um, allegedly, uh, he is saying that they are redoubling their effect, efforts to become a player in the car market um, and is trying to build a car which will have no steering wheel or pedals and require no human intervention at all um, and that they want to launch it in 2025, which seems pretty unfeasible to me. You want my honest opinion. Um, well, it, I mean, even, even if you... Even if you th- Taking it completely away from the technology, the, the legislation won't be in place by 2025 for completely autonomous drive, self-driving cars. So, so the, even if they've got one, they probably won't be able to put it on the road. No, it all seems a bit. I mean, and yeah, we all like the idea of it being completely autonomous, but how many? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If Apple, if anyone can, Apple can. But. When you look at the complexities, if you if, it, if you've ever watched any YouTube videos of self-driving cars, I mean they are amazing. They're amazing what they can do now. But there will always be a number of points where it says, "I can't cope with this," and and while it's still doing that, it won't. It, it, they won't be able to automate it. And uh, and the question is, are there sufficient numbers of those? Um, to to just make it unfeasible to produce one, and we don't and we don't know the answer to that yet. And I mean, there are a lot of people who say we'll we'll never have self driving cars. There are some people who will say not for twenty years, and there are other people who say if you you know you're Elon Musk, it's, oh it's next year. <laughs> yeah, well, never uh, say oh, I never. I would never say never. No, but much as you know, it might be nice to have a car with no steering wheel or no pedals or whatever. Can you see any legislature anywhere in the world allowing a vehicle that has no way to be manually overridden if it gets itself in trouble? Well, yeah, that that that's always going to be the issue, isn't it? Is do, you know, well, we trust it enough. Well, it's I not... mean, it's difficult. It it is about, It's mostly about trust. It's a, It's mostly about. Um, People are fallible, and we know they're fallible. Therefore, they will have accidents and they will kill one another. Um, machines shouldn't be fallible, and therefore they should never have an accident. And that's the logic behind all legislation, is that cars can't afford to make mistakes, and therefore um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever let them be a reality. But I might be wrong. I mean, I am often wrong about things. Well, I, I, <laughs> it's not that I wouldn't trust it. But it's simply a matter of suppose something happens and it gets itself in a situation. You, you know, if it's got no steering wheel and no controls, how are you going to? I don't know. Suppose it gets spanged by somebody else, not not you. Say somebody drives yeah. into the front of your, you know, backs into the front of your autonomous vehicle and knackers the lidar, right? <laughs> so well, it's the, effectively the, the blinding issue. it. You know, 
then yeah. how do you? I mean, you, the issue, how do you, the issue, you know, how would you move that vehicle yes. if it's got pedals and a well, exactly. steering wheel? Even yeah. if they pop out, even if little fold-out emergency things that allow you to yeah. maneuver the car safely off the road and park it somewhere, you know, having you yeah. say in the, the big vehicle, issue, with none, the big issue, silly, isn't it? Yeah, the big issue has always been making decisions, life and death decisions. So how does how will a computer make a decision? And um, what happens if it knows that whatever decision it makes, it, it's a negative one? Um, and that's all. That's always been the the issue with with uh, autonomous, completely autonomous. Is if it, if it finds itself in a situation, how does it weigh the death of someone on a, on a pedestrian crossing with someone in a car? So yeah, it's a it's 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 a tricky one. It's, it's a tricky one. Tricky. I, I I like you. I think we'll get there eventually. But uh, certainly on American roads, which are much simpler than British roads, British roads are just so varied and complicated. That, that, and yeah, giving rules weird. to every road in the UK is really hard. I mean, it's, you know, British roads are very weird, aren't they? You know, there are some very weird and wonderful things yeah. that you come. And we ha- and we have quite a lot of roads that have no markings on them, or mm. you know, there's no there's, there are no white lines, and there are no there are no uh, signs to tell it what it can and can't do. Yeah. So it's yeah, strangely. I don't I don't know. I we mean, I can see. I can see, for example, in the future. For example, I would uh, assume that you know, a sort of almost self-driving car. The first places they're going to be allowed to be is like on motorway driving. Yes, know? and most most modern modern um, high-end cars can almost drive themselves. Yeah, you put I mean, them mine in. can. Yeah, yeah you if can put it's it in a, I'm on cruise. adaptive cruise control and it's in lane keep assist, it will keep it in the lane. And I've gone, you know, 15, 20 miles. Uh, and okay, I've got my hands on the steering wheel, but I'm not steering. The car is. Yeah. Right. So it can, they can already do the, the simplest stuff. Um, it, it's the next steps. And, and driving in cities is hard. And don't get me wrong, Tesla are doing a brilliant job. Mm. And some of their self-driving in cities is pretty impressive too um, in America. But um, yeah, I'm not sure about Apple and the car. I think I've said, we've said before, I'm just not sure that, that that's their end plan, even though Mark Gurman seems to think it is. We shall see. I would like to think that that's what they would actually like to do, but, you know, who can tell? But um, I just can't see it by 2025. As you said before the show, you know, you'd have to start tooling up now. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'd have to. Even if even if you were using a third-party manufacturer, first of all, you'd have to keep them quiet so they weren't talking about it to anybody. Um, and when you're releasing a car, it has to be tested. So... I mean, there are lots of people who go around the world taking pictures of of uh, test mules. Uh, you get lots of these pictures with stripe, you know, stripes and things all over the car to hide its shape and that kind of thing. Um, so there are lots of people who keep an eye open for these sort of things. And I can't believe that Apple could do it in complete se- secrecy. I really don't. No, so. I don't either. There we go. So, but that was anyway. If something does arrive in twenty twenty five, well, then that'll be very exciting indeed. It will indeed. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, yeah. and then the first time one gets rear-ended by some bloke who's busy fiddling with his iPhone, it'll all be Apple's fault. And uh, of course, you know, dear oh dear. Anyway, yeah, I noticed that 
there are still news items coming out about Teslas that have been investigated. And in the end, it's, you know, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the car's fault. The car knew what it was doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so there we are. That was that. Um, Apple has announced a new self-service repair scheme for iPhone 12 and 13 um, and Apple Silicon Macs to follow um, in a sort of surprise move. Uh, you know, certainly caught pretty much everybody. All the pundits got caught out by this. Um, it's all over the web. Um, lots of people are cheering it. Some people are going, it doesn't go far enough. Um, whatever. Some people are never happy. Um, my take on it, my immediate thought on it was they've done this to cover their ass and uh, get the right to repair lobbyists off their back. They go, okay, here you go. You can now buy the parts yeah, and the tools. Like to do it for yourself. There you go. That's what you wanted. You can have it if you want. Um, I'm not saying. And how no... many people? How many people are gonna? How many people are gonna buy these things? Have a go, and then end up with a, an iPhone in a million Beats. pieces, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Beats. not be able to get it back together again. Well, I can't put it back yeah. together. And then it's all Apple's fault. It's all Apple's fault. You sold me the star. Apparently, the big, the biggest thing about this is it the. the they're going to provide you with the manual, like a how to do it instruction on, you know, so right. apparently there's very few details, to be honest, but they've said that's what they're going to do. And um, you will be able to buy it. Like will, it have la- will, it have la- will it have large friendly letters on the cover, which says don't panic? Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's going to need to. Um, so uh, that's all over the, um, all over the web, obviously. Um, not yes i'd seen it i just hadn't i hadn't realized it was self-service i was thinking it was they were just allowing third-party non-approved mm. people to but this is actually i mean it's good for giving them. people the tools to do it themselves it is definitely going to be good for the you know phone repair shops and whatnot it means they will be able to get oh, yeah. gen- genuine yeah, yeah, yeah. apple certified p- parts they won't have to buy third party but then again the sort of people who take their iphone to a third party repair non-apple approved um, it's usually because they don't mind if they put a cheaper Chinese pattern screen on it because it's a an old phone and it's not worth paying yeah. Apple's full price. And if it means their Touch ID stops working, well, so be it. Um, for me personally, it's great. Okay, great. You, if you want to do it, you can do it. I think most people, me including, and I've taken apart plenty of laptops and repaired them myself. Thank you very much. But when it comes to something like an iPhone, no, thank you very much. I am not poking any screwdrivers, Apple supplied or not, inside my nine hundred pound magic box of tricks. What? Thank you very well, exactly. much. And and it's not just Apple either. It's, I mean, there was actually a there was actually a gadget show recently where they were comparing repairing things yourself and finding another way to do it. Not 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 buying new, but actually repairing. And they actually had a, I can't remember the model, they had two Samsung phones, and one of them, John Bentley, took his to pieces um, and repaired it and really struggled to put it back together again. And uh, Otis Daly just got a third-party company to come and collect it and then deliver it back to him. Yeah. And um, even though doing it himself was fractionally cheaper... Um, when when he asked him, would you do it again? He said, no way, I'm not doing it again. Yeah. With all those tiny fiddly bits to put back together again. You know. 
so uh, so there you go. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people actually use it. I mean, it does say at the top of this rumours article that a study suggests that only a fraction, small fraction of users, iPhone users, will bother to use it. Yeah. And I can um, believe that. I believe that as well. Yeah, sure, there are people who... Are, I mean, I was listening to Patrice on... Um, the Mac show earlier today and she said yeah I would I would do it I would take my phone apart and put in a new battery or replace a screen yeah but then she said but that said when I was you know years ago I disassembled and reassembled laptops for a living that was a thing I did you know (laughs) Um, because it was a service provided by the university and I was one of the technicians so I am far from being I am far from being your average consumer um yeah, I'd... but I mean, they've always, always said, I mean, going back to when I first, first bought my iMac, I mean, they always said, oh, you don't want to take them to pieces. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Um, so, so I did. I once I, I, I upgraded the SSD in it and OK, it was a bit fiddly, but it wasn't that bad for people, you know, for someone of my age who's probably taken several computers to pieces over my years of owning them it wasn't that much of a, a problem then but an iphone an iphone is very small lots and lots of tiny little and those sort of little ribbon things that would be yeah. so easy to break oh, yeah no no and thank the, you no thank you no i uh, thank you uh, i just send it to apple thank you very much no. yes they need to yeah, let, let them let, do talk, it. Someone, someone who who will cover it if they break it. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, precisely. But there you go. It's good, and I'm pretty sure they've done it to to stave off some stupid legislation that says they've got to have removable batteries. But the other thing is, your iPhone's waterproof, or at least water resistant. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's full. So of, do, do you, do you avoid be... that if you take it to pieces? Well, I don't know. But, I mean, surely you'd have to fit all them tiny gaskets and Lord knows what. I wouldn't even want to think about it. <laughs> no. But there you go. Some people will, and um, now you can, you know, you will be able to order the parts and the tools. Um, of course, they'll be at Apple prices, so it might not work out any cheaper than just sending it to Apple. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, and, I think they're partly doing it as a, yes, you can if you want. So, look, we've offered users what they want and we'll offer more more kits down the line. So, there we are. Yeah, that sounds that sounds logical to me. There we are. Um, so, but that was a surprise, you know, and it caught everybody out. Um, particularly, as you, you remember the other week, we mentioned the fact that, you know, Apple had put a chip in which said if you change the screen on your iPhone 13, um, it breaks the face ID. Um, yeah. Well, Apple did something. They issued a software patch which fixed that. Whether they, whether it was genuinely, a, you know, a bug in the early earlier versions, or whether the, they got some backlash and went, no, look, we'll we'll disconnect that function that stops you from changing the screen. I don't know, but um, they changed that, and then they announced this self-service repair program. So who knows what's going on there? Mm. But uh, I, yeah, I think it's mostly. I mean, it's good PR anyway. You slice it, and oh, some, yeah. and some yeah, people yeah. will, and it will mean that third-party repairers will be able to say, well, I can get you the official Apple part and it'll cost this much, or I can get you a cheap Chinese one for half the price, but it will break your face ID or something, you know. Um, <laughs> we are. Uh, the register has, uh, is your Apple Mac running Mac OS Monterey leaking memory? It may be due to the mouse cursor customization. Um, 
apparently, um, if you customise your cursor, uh, you know, be that making it uh, a different size, as you and I do, Nick, from accessibility, or now in Monterey, you can mm-hmm. change its colour if you wish. You can make it, you know, flaming pink or glowing purple or something if you if you want to help you see where the where the mouse is. Um, apparently, that could be causing a memory leak where uh, somehow or other. The it's not for, as it as the cursor changes as it moves around the screen, you know, turns into an eye bar for text or a grab hand or a you know pointer over the corners when you want to um, resize your window. That somehow it's not releasing those uh, little tiny bits of memory every time it changes. Um, so that apparently is a possible cause. No doubt it will be fixed because once somebody has pointed out where the memory leak is, no doubt you can uh, patch it. But um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, yes. Obviously, something has snuck through without them noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, um, several other apps have been known to leak memory, particularly uh, on Monterey at the moment, including, I think, uh, Creative Cloud, Office, uh, Microsoft Office, um, Firefox um, had a very bad memory leak. Um, I think they've fixed that now, but I'm not sure. Um, so there you go. Uh, if you are suffering from that, setting your mouse back to default may, uh, you know, alleviate your problem, problem uh, until they may be at issue a patch of some sort. Um, and this one, this is a comment piece by Imore, um, which I really did agree with. Um, it says, giving iPhones cool features is no good if people don't understand what they do. Um, and in iOS 15.2, um, how Apple uh, labeled the iCloud private relay, um, they're changing the description um, so that it's uh, easier to understand because apparently I didn't even bother to look at it, to be honest, um, because I don't really need it because I use a VPN and I use ProtonMail. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, mentioning that, uh, and, you know, we're not supported by ProtonMail, but I'm a happy user. Uh, they have got uh, a holiday season sale at Proton uh, where you can save up to 50% on your plan uh, if you buy packages and two-year deals and whatnot. Um, Jolly good. So, yeah, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, and you can add, you can buy now, for example, if, you're, if your subscription is not up, you can buy a two, you know, buy a two-year plan now, say, which would save you 50% of the cost, and they will simply tack it on to the end of your current subscription. So you can buy now and use later, just, uh, you know. And then, oh, that's good. Uh, and it depends on what deals. Obviously, the biggest deal is if you take, um, if you take like the Proton Mail Plus and the VPN Plus, and take it over two years and pay for it now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not the you know still not cheap, but if you get fifty percent off, you know, can be very worthwhile. So I'll just mention that. Um, so I, yeah, I haven't looked really at the private private relay, um, but apparently. As sharp-eyed people who, you know, study these things say that the description um, of what it does and how it works has been altered in 15.2 to make it clearer. Um, And, yeah, it is good. I mean, the the fact is our our phones are so complicated these days. Um, I'm sure our phones are very much like computers now. Well, sorry, they are computers, but... Back in the day, people used to say, oh, well, you only use about 5% of 
your computer's features. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same with the phone, really. I mean, there's probably only, there'll be those people who only use it as a phone. Uh, and for those of us who use it as a computer, we pr- pro- still probably only use tiny bits. And oh, there's yeah. all these new features they add in every every time we have an update. There's something new in, and the fact is, we don't. There's no way you can keep track of them all. There is not so many. There are so many things. To be honest, um, and I'll I'll jump actually on that point before we, I jump ahead actually to the worth of chirps. Um, I've got a uh, hundred plus Mac keyboard shortcuts you should be using to work more efficiently from TechPP. Um, oh, that sounds good. Which has a whole load of keyboard shortcuts, or over a hundred keyboard shortcuts, obviously. Um, Mac World has a feature, uh, iOS 15, 10 hidden features you need to know about, which obviously basically talks about some of the new things in, um, in iOS 15, like uh, the fact that you can uh, use translation all over the place. Uh, there's um, improved app activity reporting, which will show you what your apps are actually doing. Um, you know, you can get text, in, individually adjust the text size in individual apps. Um, the uh, recovery and legacy contacts, which is not active yet, but it's in 15.2, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, scan text almost anywhere using the live um, live text feature. So that's uh, got some features you need to know. Um, an ex-Apple Genius Bar workers shares little-known iPhone tricks. Um, some of these are a bit, a bit esoteric, and there's not a huge number, but they are quite interesting. Like, um, <laughs> you know, Shazam a song without going into the app. Um, how to add signatures to documents using your iPhone. Um, you know, on the Apple Watch, not that I do it very often, but if you need to send a, a reply to, say, a message on your Apple Watch, you can do the scribble feature where you write the letters one by one on the screen with your finger. Yeah, yeah. Um, this... Um, this woman says, uh, if you draw the first two letters of a word, then you can scroll through suggestions uh, with, you know, with the crown. Um, the screen will pop up popular words to select from after you start writing. So basically in the same way as um, typing on your phone, you know, the smart typing when you suggest yeah. likely words. Well, yeah. uh, that is now on the watch. Um, I've not noticed that because I don't do it very often because normally I use a canned response or if I need to type anything longer than that, I will take my phone out. But uh, it's handy to know. So, so a few of those sort of things. Um, yes, so that's it. Uh, th- those are the three. There are three things there of like things I bet you didn't know kind of <laughs> what's yep, ch- very worth useful. a church. Very, very useful. useful. But, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were often... We were saying before the show, weren't we, that there's so many things that you just forget about. I mean, there was one, I think I probably mentioned it a little while ago, that Gaz suddenly did a, a tip about corners. I'd completely forgotten that you could program the corners to do various yeah. things on your Mac. Hot corners. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and he suddenly said, I don't forget these. And I thought, oh, well, I've completely forgotten those. And it just so happened I could make use of one, so... Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> so I, that's the first thing I did. My mine, which drives other people who use my Mac spare, is if you put the mouse in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, all the windows fly out of the way to reveal the desktop. Um, oh, right. Which is very useful um, if you 
do the sort of things that I do, where sometimes you, I want to, I'll put things, you know, do, uh, say I edit a photograph, then I put the file on the desktop, then I can uh, open another app by moving all the windows out of the way, and I can grab that, and then whilst holding it, you go yeah. back in the corner, and then you can drag it onto the app you want to drop it on. Um, cool. Yeah. The, the other thing with that is, with the hot corners, if you don't want that to happen all the time, you can set a modifier key. Um, you can, yeah. Yeah, which is... So, yeah, the... the, the, the... The one I wanted was because I used to have an Apple keyboard. You could there was a key press for turning the screen off, uh, which I used quite a lot. So when I walked away from my computer to go and do something else, I'd just turn the screen, you know, put it into sleep. And um, because I'm using a Logitech keyboard now, there are I'm sure you probably still can, but I can't find a way of doing it on this Logitech keyboard. So I now have my top left. Uh, which just top left corner just turns the screen off. Yep, yep, <laughs> which is great. Um, the other one I use is bot- bottom left. I have the um, sort of expose view, the big you know, yeah. mission control. Is it? I think yeah, they call it now. Yes, stop yeah. calling it expose. Anyway, there you go. That's programmable corners. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what else we got? Oh, um, here's what data Apple will give your family when you pass away on Mac rumors, which basically explains what the uh, legacy contact uh, feature will allow your family to know what information um, Apple will give to your descendants if you have named them as a, uh, you know, a legacy contact which allows them to take over your... Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. idea because, I mean, none of us want to think about it, but it is something that uh, we all have to come to at some point. Well, I think... Uh, that's a good idea. Apple added this because, A, I've heard them say about people who've managed to knock themselves out of their iCloud completely. They've completely yes. forgotten the password or whatever, and they've got no way of... No other device to verify with and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the other one, which they've um, brought up several times, I've seen stories where a family, you know, somebody young has tragically passed away, you know, be it in a car accident or, you know, or sudden death. And um, the families have gone, you know, can you let us into his or you know, their iCloud account because we'd like to get their pictures or whatever um, or their yeah. contacts to notify everybody that, you know, this has happened. And Apple go, we can't. We can't help you because we can't get in. We don't know the password. Yeah. And if it's they've not told anybody, it's, it's done, right? We're, we're locked out as badly as you are. If, they, if they've not told anybody how to get into their iCloud account, then I'm afraid you're stuffed. Um, so that's why they've introduced it. They've said they want to introduce this legacy contact where... Um, no, I think that's a good idea. You can leave a legacy contact. You can set a legacy contact and then they have to prove, obviously, to Apple with a death certificate and various other things that you are actually dead. Um, and then they will let you in. And apparently yeah. you will have access to their photos, videos, calendar, notes, documents, contacts, messages, emails... Uh, downloaded apps and associated data and device backups. Their iCloud keychain login and passwords will not be made available, uh, nor will any licensed media. Um, There we are. Um, And then there's also a recovery. um, They also have a recovery contact, which is uh, basically, if you only have, for example, if you only have one Apple device, um, if you lock yourself out, you can use your recovery contact and they, their device is treated as a trusted device to send the, you know, the oh, one-time that's a good idea pass as well. key to. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, if you're like me, I've got. It's like having it's like having a someone. It's like someone you know well who has a front door key just in case you end up locking yourself out. It's that kind of thing. Yes, it? it is. It is. But you know, for example, it's all right. You know, if you're me, I've got a laptop and I've got the phone and I've got the watch. Yeah. yeah, and my wife's got the watch and the phone and the iPad. So if you sort of lock yeah, yourself but if out, all you've got, yeah, if all you've got is the iPhone, and they said, "Well, we've sent a message to your iPhone to unlock it." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're a bit stuck. You can have your trusted devices, and so you can't get in on your iPhone. It will say, "Well, if you're logged in in another device, you can go there and yeah. get a one-time passcode to unlock the device and so on." So. So those are the two things, um, and obviously the recovery uh, contact simply will get a, be able to receive the code on your behalf and tell you what it is, so that you can yeah. log in. No, that's a good idea. Good idea. Well done, Apple. Yep, both both good. Um, and that's going live in fifteen point two, which is on beta three, I think, at the moment. So mm-hmm. won't be far away. Uh, what else have we got? Amazon are launching a dedicated Prime Video app for the Mac, so you don't have to watch it in the browser. Um, surprised it's taken that long, really. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really see that that's that important. I don't understand no. why that's important. It's not important. I suppose but it's convenient. Yeah. It's just a thing, isn't it? I mean, it's for the Mac. Um, there's a Prime Video app for the for iOS, but there's not one for the Mac. Yes. So that's just, oh, that's fair enough. Interesting. It's just one of those things. Uh, Capture One, the um, photo people, are going to launch an iPhone app for photo capture and editing, according to Petapixel. Um, Capture One, a very big um, people like Alistair and uh, um, Mac Jim, keen on it. Um, you know, high end photo editing software. Um, All right. They're bringing out a cool. version for uh, the iPhone. Uh, what does it say here? Traditional Capture One users can look forward to HDR and panoramic stitching coming to Capture One 22 due December. Um, yeah, Capture One 22. Features are available on the web, but can we bring the image core, the heart of our quality color, to iOS, so they're they're, they're launching soon. Um, so if you're a Capture One user, you might be interested in that. Um, this was on the Mac Observer. Apparently, uh, not something that would apply to most people, but uh, Mac OS Monterey has a built-in network quality test, um, which will allow you to uh, open the terminal and type network quality. Um, with a capital Q, and uh, hit return, and it will give you the results. Um, so that's the performance across your network port, I guess. Uh, let's say here. I would imagine. Uh, the summary provided average upload-download speed during testing, number of upload and download flows, and responsiveness classification. There we go. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's a little bit like speed test or you know those yeah. websites, but it, yeah. you can do it straight from your computer. Terminal. That's cool. Um, doing more with the tool, uh, using the man command, you'll get a help file which shows you other things you can do with it. So there you go. If you're into that sort of thing, um, because they've taken away, what was it, the network management tool? There used to be a net. In oh, the, have they? Yeah. There used to be a network management tool in Mac OS hidden away. Uh, it used to be in the, years ago it was in utilities 
and then they hid it somewhere in the system yeah. folder. So you only you could only find it if you knew where it was. And then oh, they took it. Right. And then they took it away altogether. But to be honest, unless you're a network um, management engineer, it won't tell you very much. Yeah, you're probably not interested. Yes. You're not interested. No, and you can do you know a lot of the things you can do from the command line if you if you're interested in doing pings and port scans and things, you can do them from the and command trace line. routes. Yeah. Yep, but there used to be a tool to do it. There used to be a GUI tool, and they've taken that away. Um, oh, one of the one of the one of the podcasts I was listening to yesterday suggested um suggested an alternative. Damn, it might have been Mac Geek Gab. So if you're interested in a replacement for the network uh, management tool, perhaps go and listen to the um. Sounds the, like the kind of thing they would discuss. Yeah. Yes, somebody in the chat room said, "Oh, I use this," and mentioned it by name. Uh, go and check out the latest Mac Geek Gab nine hundred, and um, I think they discuss it on there. It will be in their show notes. I'll dig it out later, and I'll put it in the show notes for this anyway. But uh, there we are. Um, and we've got a bit about uh, Epic's Epic CEO says Apple must be stopped, and we should have a one, you know, one app store for everybody. Yeah, a that's going to be as confusing as hell. B, who's going to be in control of it? And I guess, I guess what you mean is Epic should be in charge of having the app store for everybody, so we get all the profit. Yeah, so not impressed. That's by a that. stupid idea. Yeah, <laughs> what he really means is I want all the money. That's what. Yeah, you mean. well, that, that's that's what they've been saying from the beginning. We want more of the money. Yeah, so yeah. that's it for that. Um, right. Well, I've got an uh, Nemo has got an interview here with uh, Raviv uh, from Kino, which is um, is a sort of um, interactive it's like a movie. Um, no, it's a um, it's like a meeting space, virtual meeting space. So, oh yes, that that one. Yeah, I knew I recognised the name from somewhere. <laughs> Uh, the the yes, other one, the, yeah. there's another one, Cumo Space is another one. Um, but anyway, right, John Nemo. Yeah, and a... I was I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of kinematic. That's what I'd got. In ah, yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. Anyway, um, yeah. it, it's a kind of virtual meeting space, and uh, John Nemo's got an interview with him. So we'll take ten minutes to get a fresh cup of tea while John uh, talks to Raviv about that, and we'll come back and wrap up, shall we? Yeah, sounds good. That sounds good. Right, so. Over to you, John. Take it away. We have a special guest here, and please tell us what your name is and the name of your company and your product. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Raviv Nadav from Kinetic Skull, um, and the product is called Kino by Kinetic Skull. So, how do you spell the name of the company and how do you spell the name of Kino? Kino is spelled K I N O, Kinetics is spelled K I N E T X. So it's called Kino. And how would you say in two or three sentences what Kino is? So Kino is a video chat platform uh, meant for people to gather on. It, we gave it like a sense of a space. Instead of having a telephone conference with video, we uh, in integrated a focus feature that allows people to focus on whoever they want to talk to. Then when you focus on someone, that person is going to come in in full screen and full audio. Everyone else is going to go to the sidelines and at 5% audio, so they're kind of backgrounded, lower intensity, so you can actually have convers multiple conversations um, at the same time in a video space. Good. We'll talk about that in a minute. So basically, it's a video chat platform for diverse methods of communication all happening at the same time. Yes, that's correct. And is there a free version and a paid version? 
Yes. So on the free version, can you and I just talk together and just have a bunch of people there an hour or so, anytime we want? Yeah. So the free version, you can have up to 10 participants and with a time limitation of an hour, and you can just um, start using it. And is there a business version for $10, $12 a month? Yes. Tell us a little bit briefly about the pricing plans, very briefly. So we have the free version that I just mentioned. We have a premium plan, which allow, uh, cost $11.99. Gives you an option to have up to 100 people on a Kino and up to a duration of eight hours. Um, and then we have Kino for Teams, where you can use it as a virtual office, etc. With 10 licenses, um, up to 12 hours duration, up to 100 participants as well. Um, that costs $99 a month. Very good. So it's very affordable. Okay, let's talk about this focus feature. Give us a minute explaining to somebody who's never seen Kino before why focus feature is so important. Okay, then I'll, I'll start uh, with your permission uh, with a little bit of history of what, how we, uh, I came about thinking about the focus feature. I went on one um, video conference um, with friends in March of 2020 in the midst of the lockdown. And it was, you know, there is always like one person that can talk at a given moment. And I wanted to start like talking to someone else that I thought, um, hey, I want to catch up with that person, uh, maybe to introduce myself. And I couldn't do it. So we thought if we were in a, in a room with other people, what would it feel like? So naturally, when you're in a room with other people, your ear, your uh, zones in on, on the person's voice, focus in on the person's voice. And you, uh, they're in the center of your view because you're looking at them, people that you're talking to. And then everyone else is kind of backgrounded. You can still see and hear them to an extent, but they are not um, overwhelming. So we wanted to replicate that um, in, a, in a virtual setting. And that's how we came about the focus feature. So the focus feature would be just a button on a video tile that when you click on it, that participant is going to be a focus participant, meaning they are going to be on your full screen. And then their audio is going to be 100% audio. Everyone else is going to be at smaller tiles on the side at 5% audio. And that's just the basics of the focus feature. And does this all work on Mac, PC, iPhone, iPad, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, you name it? Yeah. So it works on um, all the platforms that you mentioned. We are limited right now uh, on the browser to Chrome, um, but we do have mobile apps for all of the mentioned above. Good, because I do want to say that I'm on an iPad and your image is incredibly clear like I'm watching a TV show or a movie. And I'm presumably my image and audio are good for you at the other end. Yep. So it's multi-platform. And are you rolling out features all the time, like recording and all the other stuff that people can do on other platforms? How, how do you expose people to the new features? So we have um, a newsletter that we roll out to our user base. Um, so anyone who signs up to Kino um, signs up to our newsletter, and then they can get updates um, if, they, if they choose to. Um, other than that, we have our social media pages um, where we post, make posts about new features, um, new advancements in the, in the platform. Now, you're going against some fairly well-established competitors, so you want to do something different. Do you have something called Spaces? I read about that someplace. Yes. So Spaces is a very unique feature where you and I can form a random space or we can form just um, pinned spaces, we call them, in the keynote. So I can just choose to go to move around between one space or another. How does that work in real life? So you have um, uh, what we call a spaces panel. On the spaces panel, you can see um, videos of everyone that are in the spaces. The space is a, um, is a rectangular shape that you have there. And then in that shape, you can see the videos in real time. And double-clicking a space will just um, jump you into that space, and you can just start talking to whoever's there. Did I hear or read someplace that you have people working for you 
all over the world as part of your business in different countries, different time zones, all working on the same time, actually, your office time in the United States, but they could be anywhere in the world. Is that correct? Is that how this works? Yes. So where are your other comrades, your other employees, your other staff, your colleagues? Uh, so I, I like to think of them as uh, my team. Um, <laughs> They are, we're scattered all over the planet. We have, um, um, we go from Nairobi, uh, Kenya, um, Israel, Kosovo, Albania, North Macedonia, Amsterdam, um, London, um, Chicago, New York, Texas, Mexico, you name it. That's very impressive. Now, is there something called privacy mode? Where have I heard about that? Yes. You know how sometimes you have um, on video conferencing tools, those people that don't want to be on camera? And then they turn off their camera. But what happens uh, when they do that, you don't know if they're actually there or not, or like listening or not. You don't know if they're present. So we created a privacy mode where, where it's going to completely blur your entire video. You, you're not seen. Just your silhouette is seen, seen in the video. And then it gives you a sense of like, yeah, I'm here. You can see like my silhouette, but you can't see if I wasn't wearing my makeup that day or if, my, if I have a bad hair day. And while I'm in a keynote... Can I record the conversation? Can I share the screen? Can I have a virtual background, all the stuff that I've been doing in other services? Yes, sir. What about chat? Is there a way to have a text chat and to send attachments and share things that aren't visual and aren't audio during the keynote conference? Yes. So we do have a chat feature. Um, we also did something very interesting in the, in the chat. We didn't want it to be a simple chat where it's, you know, it has like me to everyone or me to the um, um, specific person. We created um, a chat feature where it's more like up-to-date um, modern chat where you can have private, um, private chats with individuals. You can actually have like chat rooms that are different from one another. And then when you send a chat, um, on, we have uh, something that we call a chat bubble. So on the video tile that you're sending the chat from, we are going to show you a preview of the message um, that, that's, that was sent so that you can actually keep your eyes on the videos and then whoever sends you a chat message, just it shows on their tile so you know it came from him and you can actually get a, a glimpse of what was sent. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So I can swipe right and left to get in and out of the chat zone. So if people want to learn more about Kino, is it on a website or an app? How do they actually find it and start working with it? So all they need to do is just go to kino.live. Um, that's our website URL, um, K-I-N-O dot L-I-V-E. Um, and from there, they can just sign up and start a Kino. And if listeners to this podcast want to get onto the more expensive plan, are there any codes or promos, ways that we can encourage people to advance or just so they just use the free plan at first to see how they like it? How do people... How do you encourage people to get onto your paid plans so you can actually make some money? So um, we, we do have a trial period that we um, give, that we promote on occasions. If they will type in the promo code Kino with John Nemo, <laughs> they, will, they will get like um, a couple of months free that they can use. The code oh, that's, that's good. What features are we going to be looking forward to, Raviv, in iOS that you don't have on the mobile platform but that are coming soon? So we're going to add um, our share screen option to share the screen of your mobile device. We are working on the 
support for split to spaces where you can move people around if you're the host or the moderator. We have we just rolled out a feature called private spaces where if you go into a private into a space with someone, you can make it private and then no one can see and hear you. Um, but but you're still like they can still see that you're in there in that space. And then if they want to join uh, your space, they're pressing access. There is so much um, that that we're just keep working on every day on the mobile and on the web. Really, really briefly, how are you getting yourselves out there so that businesses and corporations and schools and labs and marketing people are going to use it versus the more well-known services? So we have um, a business development department where we reach out to um, institutes and um, corporations to use Kino as their virtual office or uh, virtual classroom. Have, have your other members of your team get out their ukuleles, their banjos, and their kazoos, and we will have a Kino hootenanny one day soon. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Great, great to meet you, Raviv. Thank you. We wish you all the best with Kino. Thank you for that, John, and uh, thank you, Raviv, for, uh, you know, telling us all about Kino. And um, I have here the uh, discount code, which Raviv has given us, which is um, for two months on the monthly premium plan. It is Kino with John Nemo. Uh, that will be in the show notes, of course. That rhymes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, um, there you are. If you're interested in getting the discount, uh, it's Kino with John Nemo, and you'll find it in the show notes. There we are. So, uh, right, we'll press on. Not a huge amount uh, else going on. Um, Wall Street Journal, uh, the chip that changed the world. It was 30 years ago that... Um, 30 years ago, the 15th of November, 1971, in fact, uh, the launch of the Intel 4004 microprocessor, um, a computer carved into silicon, uh, an element as plentiful as sand on the beach, uh, microprocessors, unchained computers from air conditioning rooms and free computing power to go where it needed. Uh, there we go. Um, the Intel 4004 microprocessor uh, was born 30 years ago. Uh, Gosh. I did read some of this. It's partly behind a uh, paywall. I think I had a... That's, fif that's 50 years ago. I think yep. you'll find. Yes, 50 years ago, indeed. 1971. Yeah. So, there we go. Um, I was 11. <laughs> I was 11 back in those days. Uh, what would I have been? Uh, eight. Anyway, there you go. Um, yeah. Computers wouldn't have been a thing for us in, back in those days. <laughs> nope, but there you go. That is when the Ford 004 microprocessor was born. Um, cool I, bit of history. I did read this article, but it is behind a paywall, and I cannot view it again now because I've used up my, uh, right. all, my allocation of... Um, pre. It did tell you, like... Um, it did tell you what it's how powerful it was and how many chips it got on it and whatnot. Um, you know how many how many transistors they carved into it and so on, which you can imagine was basically small. Um, Three. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was more than that. But anyway, there you go. Um, 
it the chip without which nothing else would have uh, changed. There we are. Uh, what else have I got? Um, there's a piece on CNBC, which is slightly falsely titled, actually. It says, these smart glasses offer a glimpse at the future Apple and Facebook are planning. Um, not strictly true. Um, it's not really about the, the company they're talking about here are not planning to make smart glasses in any way, shape or form. But they have built an LED light engine, which enables the device manufacturers to build small, stylish, augmented reality smart glasses. Um, and the uh, author of this piece had uh, a sort of um, a demo, which played a sort of you know, a demonstration of the sort of things it can do. Um, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is quite important, really, because if this technology makes it so that it's, e- it's easier to see, because the pro- problem with a lot of the um, AR and VR stuff that we've had so far is that they're so bulky that you don't really want to use them. And if this enables um, a better viewing experience with without weight, then, you know, it could be very important. It could indeed. Um, as he says here, um, we're getting ready to have the smallest manufacturable display for these customers, Tang said. Uh, right. I put the glasses on. A translucent blue square came on in the centre of my field of view, showing a display overlaid on top of what I could see in real life. Then the demo started. The glasses cycled through different visuals, uh, weather, stock chart, text message conversation. Um, I was looking at Tang and could see him, but the visuals appeared on top of him in crystal clarity, a proper augmented reality. Um, that sounds very promising. It does. The At the moment, the uh, Ave, Avigant, I think, light engine offers a 30-degree field of view, which is not very wide, I'll admit. Um, yeah. There we are. There's a, there's a picture of him wearing them. Um, they look uh, quite acceptable, to be honest. Um, what do you say about the projector? He says something about projector here. Um, right, yeah, they are not yet mass-producing a light engine. It envisions a business model in which it will sell this component to companies which wish to build smart glasses. Um, base- We're coming back to, it does say a little bit further down, that it, of course, it depends on how much battery life you want. Yes. Uh, we're still we're still stuck in the, we need more um uh, more power density in smaller spaces. Yep, indeed. But um, I'm trying to find the bit where it describes how big the actual piece is. Um, um, okay, here we are. Yeah, the new light engine is thinner than a pencil and weighs about as much as a large paper clip. It fits within the hinge and temple of the eyeglasses where it can show a high-definition visuals to the wearer. Um, there you go. It's very promising. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, getting there a little bit at a time. I can see it coming eventually. Yeah, People yeah, will want to be able to have information that pops up when they need it. And um, I, know that, I know there have been issues with privacy in the past and all that sort of stuff, but I really think that this is... Um, if they can get it to work reliably and, and again, the battery's small enough, I, th- I think this could be something that a lot of people would find very useful. Yeah, I mean, there's a picture of them here. They look, you know, fairly, they don't look much bigger than you have some sorts of sunglasses. Yeah, they're slightly chunky, I'd say. Yeah. But only slightly. But then, you know, some yeah. people wear glasses like that anyway because that's sort of fashionable. Um, yes, because it's fashionable. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the fact that this doesn't rely on any cameras. So, you know, you can remove yeah. some of the privacy concerns. This is di- giving you a display 
um, in your glasses without using um, cameras and whatnot. Yeah. Which is the thing a lot of people get. I noticed the um, wary of. I noticed the new. It, I noticed the new Hyundai EV6. It is right. Hyundai Kia. Kia. No, it's Kia. Kia EV6 has a head-up display that projects onto the screen. Yeah. Onto yep. the window rather than. Um, so the, the the new car I'm hoping to get has a head up display, but it's one of those little plastic things that comes yeah, up like a plastic and it um, projects it onto that sheet. Yeah, uh, but they are getting there. They are getting to a point where they're going to be able to project it onto the script onto the window, uh, which is the which is the best solution, really. So, yep, surely good. Like to see this happening. This is good, as it says here, um, and he says something to the tune of you know companies like Apple and Facebook probably won't buy this because they've got their own teams, but it would enable other companies to make viable smart glasses without having to you know develop the technology for themselves. So anyway, yeah. I thought that was very very interesting. It's worth a read. That is, um, Twitter is making big changes for devs as it uh, eyes a decentralized future, which is uh, good for third party apps because they are um, changing their APIs to be more developer friendly, which is good for third party uh, Twitter clients. Um, um, Arla has created poo-powered batteries to highlight the potential of anaerobic digestion. Um, and this was in, <laughs> this was in, um, bioengineering insight, I think it's called, oh, bi- no, bioenergy news, sorry, bioenergy news. Um, Arla, the people who of course make things like lactose-free milk and cheese and a variety of other dairy products, um, have created AA rechargeable cow patteries to highlight the potential of a manure-based renewable energy. Um, there you go. And there's a picture of them here, and they are um, prettily patterned with a, you know, black and white cow uh, eyed pattern. A bit like the old gateway computers used to be. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. You know, um, there we go. On the farm, we use the energy produced from cow slurry to power our entire estate. Um, yeah. Um, no, interesting. They are um, found a novel way of using the potential of waste by turning cow manure into cow power. Um, the cow batteries are rechargeable and being displayed as a potential UK renewable energy source. Um, here yeah, we are. Yeah. Of course, um, of course, waste treatment plants have been doing this for a while. Oh yes, yes. So they uh, they 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 use um, biogas and whatever from from the. Uh, Waste. From the slurry that's mm. left, yeah, and then they just heat it basically, and and you, you get anaerobic digestion, and that creates gas, and then you can burn that to uh, you feed the gas into engines, which actually generate the electricity. So uh, quite a lot of electricity in some sites, particularly some of the larger ones. Uh, most of the electricity is, in fact, they export electricity. Some of them out to the grid. So. I don't. Go. It doesn't mention if you'll be able to buy these or if they're merely a sort of a you know proof of concept. Proof yeah, of right. concept, but they're um, rechargeable AA batteries powered by um, cow poo and anaerobic digestion. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Well, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Every little helps. As Every they say. little helps, indeed. Um, and Geek's Corner has a little piece here. The Apple One computer sells for $400,000. Um, last week, uh, there was an Apple One, original Apple One computer up sale. I think its original um, estimated price was 600000 but it's gone for four hundred. There you go. I'm sure he's not that disappointed. 
Uh, no. I'm sure the seller is not that disappointed. Right. Uh, let's move on. A uh, couple more worth of chirps. Donnie sent us a link to the Bridge Air Max Plus wireless keyboard case with multi-touch trackpad for iPad Air 4th generation and iPad Pro 11 inch with detachable magnetic snap fit case uh, and four foot drop protection. Um, there you go. Uh, you sent me an Amazon link to Amazon.com, but uh, it's priced at about $120 currently. Normal price apparently about $150. Um, looks yeah, like... I had a look at the um, I had a look at the 13 inch one, the 12.9 inch one, and that's about $200. Right. Um, so I won't be buying one because <laughs> no. I don't use my iPad like that anyway. So. No, but um, you know, if you do, uh, this looks like quite. A, I mean, Bridge are well known; they make good quality product. Um, they do. Yeah. Basically, you snap your iPad into a case which has magnets in it, which then snaps onto the uh, sort of vertical, you know, the vertical part of the uh, keyboard case, so that it becomes like the screen of your laptop, and then it has, you know, a keyboard and a trackpad built in. So thank you for that one, Donnie. Cool. Cool. If you're in the in the you know, and you know, even a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars, that's a lot less than a than an Apple one. Um, yes. <laughs> I think Donnie would it like. Looks nice. Like nice the kit. yeah, I think Donnie liked the idea that you, it was easy to detach the thing. You know, uh, it, you yes. just unmagnetically pull it off the back rather than there we are. Um, and uh, yes, all new Spigen one tap ring brings MagSafe compatibility to most cases um, on nine to five toys, and this is basically a metal lollipop shaped piece of uh, metal that you insert um to you know give the uh give your mag you know give your non mag safe phone um a mag safe attachment if you are you know if you are burning to have that and you don't have it um it's mm. selling for twenty dollars which seems fairly reasonable it appears to come with a um a sort of a clear case that you can use to apply it to your phone there we are link to that in the show notes seems seems a little bit over engineered if anything to me yeah <laughs> just to get just to get that functionality to be honest you know uh they're not something that but you know if you want magsafe that badly yeah. get a phone that's got magsafe yeah, re- well that's right it really doesn't bother me plugging in my iphone and my ipad at night <laughs> it's not, no not a major chore not not in the least no it doesn't bother me i'm quite happy to actually i don't plug in. in my phone i've got a, i've got a i've got a charging a pad for that but i plug in my ipad every night but yeah um it might and... be a little bit fiddly at times but uh i think i can live with it i think you live with it yeah there you go me too but uh you know if you want that um $20 doesn't seem like a bad price, to be honest. Um, no, it doesn't. No. And uh, we'll wrap it up then. Just a snippet. Steve Wozniak's startup, Privateer, plans to launch hundreds of satellites to study space debris. Um, and that was from uh, John Gruber on the Daring Fireball. Um, so let me get this right. They're going to launch lots, hundreds of satellites to add to the debris. <laughs> To, <laughs> so that they can study the debris. So they can measure the space debris. I did think that. I thought, yeah, great. They're yeah. going to map all the space yeah. debris by sending up hundreds 17, of satellites. 17 of, our, 
17 of the satellites we've launched have, have actually come, come out of orbit simply because they, they hit pieces. <laughs> we hit they an hit unexpected space debris. <laughs> we hit some unexpected space debris. Yes. Oh, dear. Although, talking about space debris, didn't uh, the, the Russians blew up a satellite, didn't they? They tested an anti-satellite they did. weapon. That was, a bit, that was a bit surprising, wasn't it? Blew up an old satellite, um, scattering bits Certainly of it everywhere. Certainly had the uh, space station worried. Yeah. yeah, scattered stuff everywhere. Uh, I think what well, we... as you do in space, when you blow things up, you know, things carry on travelling until they meet something where they stop travelling. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, I mean, what the, uh, Mr. Gruber's take is, leave it to Woz to fund a start-up to do something useful in space rather than shoot himself into low orbit for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Certain yeah. dig. Uh, we need to put something like satellite Roombas up there to clean the debris up. That is also true. And I do Oh, think... satellite Roombas. Now, I like the sound of that. Yeah. To... Can I drive one? <laughs> Did I? I? I'm pretty sure some weeks ago I saw a, a story about somebody who wanted to send up some sort of satellites with like big nets on the front to, as they orbit. Yeah, yeah. So there's certainly debris. been something in the news. Where I think the they I... need to. I think it's starting to get a little bit uh, difficult to find launch windows. Yeah, because they have, have debris in them. Yeah, because um, basically we've just been leaving stuff. Yeah, you know, the stuff. Did oh, just... de- oh dear, that seems to have died. Never mind, it's still Never up. Mind. It'll be all right. It's flying around the earth at goodness knows how many hundred miles an hour. So you know, it'll but... be fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did see a thing a bit like those um, sort of sea sweepers that go to the trash patches in the ocean and scoop it up. Um, The idea was that you'd have sort of a satellite with a great big cone on it and it would collect up stuff. And then I guess eventually when it gathered enough stuff, it would slow down and fall into... Yeah. Fall down into the atmosphere and burn up. Anyway, there we are. Um, oh, talking of things in space. Before we finish, did you see that the um, what's it called? Ingenuity. That the helicopter on Mars is still going. Um, really? Yes. Oh, no, I didn't it, see that. It was planned to do something like five flights over thirty days or something. Um, and now it's been up there for months and it's still working. So they're going to do some more flights with it. Cool. Um. A bit like, uh, you know, a bit like the other one. What was it? Um, I never remember which one it was. Curiosity, is that the first one? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. I'm not. Track. I'm not heavily into space. No, stuff, so I, no, I'm I, I, sure. nor am I. But the first one that was only supposed to be up there for a few months, and you know, here it is, six years later Isn't or it, something, this and it's is still te- going. <laughs> well, it's testament. It's testament to the over-engineering they feel they need to do. Yeah, because it's so far away, and so you know, um, yeah. Hostile. All kudos to the scientists. I say. Yep. And the engineers. And the other story I read about space was um, the Hubble Space Telescope has turned on one very basic instrument, I believe, that as they're gradually trying to bring it back to life. So, yeah, jolly good. They're getting there. They're getting there. Um, They turned on an old uh, deprecated instrument so that they could use that to figure out what was wrong with the thing that was causing trouble, apparently. Right. Something like that. I've read that about. It all sounds very clever to me. It's all very clever stuff, and they're going very slowly about it. But there you go. There we go. That's all of the stories and a couple extra off the top of my head. So we'll wrap the show up, shall we? Um, Nick, tell people, where they can, tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me occasionally on Twitter. Um, I'm Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. 
and uh, you can find me in the Slack room uh, on occasion, um, very occasionally over in Bart's show uh, on Let's Talk Apple. And uh, I was leading worship this morning, so if you want to see me leading worship, go over and have a look at our uh, Erdington Methodist Church um, YouTube channel. Which is in the uh, show notes, as ever. Yes. You can find it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, you can find me, of course, on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The stuff is on the website at EssentialApple.com. The show tweets is at EssentialApple. Um, thank you very much to everybody who supports us. Don't forget uh, the coming Wednesday, uh, the Suffolk Mac user group will be meeting at 7.30pm GMT on Zoom when Tony Bramley, who is a fellow of the Royal Photographic Society, is going to show us a, a Da Vinci Resolve, which is a professional level piece of software which you can get for free. Um, and he's going to not just talk about it, but show us how he uses it to uh, create videos, I believe, for his YouTube channel. Um, and if you're interested in a guest invitation to this, you must send your real name and email address to Michael Posniak on the address davincisuffolk at gmail.com. Mention that you're an essential Apple listener and he will organise you, uh, you know, a guest pass to the Zoom meeting. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in that, get your emails into my pronto. So there we are. And with that, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back soon. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website EssentialApple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.
You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time. myself yesterday to some stolen i do like a bit of stolen oh i like stolen i'll have to go down to uh aldi or lidl are the best places to get good stolen because mm. they have proper german stolen being as how they're german companies yes that would make sense i also have proper glue wine if you're into that i know you don't drink so it wouldn't appeal to you but <laughs> i've heard people talk about it yeah. it's like a type of mulled wine um, yeah, German mulled wine. It's quite pleasant. I like mulled wine anyway. Well, I tend to just buy mulled spices and do it myself. Mm. We used to go, each year we used to go to somewhere nearby called Middleton Hall. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these privately run charities. Uh, so it's not it's not owned by National Trust or any of those. No. It's a sort of volunteer run, privately funded um and they use it for all sorts of stuff. Uh, but they used to all, uh, back in the day, I'm not sure whether they still do, they used to do quite a lot of music there. And um, the first year we went, we sang in the Great Hall, which was interesting because they hadn't actually done a lot of repairs in the Great Hall at this point. Yeah, I think in, you said, I think, I think you said it was bloody freezing. <laughs> you That's remember, right, yeah. You told me about this before. huge gap under the door. <laughs> Freezing That's cold. Right. But they used to have mulled wine. They used to have mulled wine at those at those occasions to keep everyone warm. <laughs> um, if you if you like the idea of mulled wine, but don't actually want to have uh, red wine, uh, one yeah. year we had um, well, a few years ago when we were still allowed to you know gather together. We had a smug um, sort of, well, it wasn't a Christmas do as such, but it was the November meeting and we yeah, had yeah. mulled, quote unquote, mulled wine. Um, and the couple who used to do the refreshments at the time found this excellent recipe for uh, a non-alcoholic mulled wine. And it was four, obviously you wouldn't want to do it this much, but it was four, four, four cartons of red grape juice, because obviously they want yeah. to make a big urn full. But basically it's four parts of red grape yes. juice. To one part of grapefruit juice, and then add oh, the interesting. add the um, mulling spices, which you can either buy or you can just assemble yeah. yourself, um, and warm it up. And as a person who you know quite often drinks mulled wine in the winter, I could say you would not tell the difference because um, it, oh right, that's interesting. Because the grapefruit juice somehow brings in the correct amount of tanginess. And um, yeah, because red grape juice doesn't taste anything like wine. It's nice enough in its own right. Don't no. get me wrong, but it doesn't taste anything like wine. But I was a bit dubious. Yes. I was a bit dubious. I thought, oh, you know, sort of fake mulled wine. But I had a cup of it, and it was like, oh, this is actually very, very good. Because with between the spices and uh, the grapefruit juice, it actually was a very passable substitute, and you could hardly tell the difference. Oh, that's interesting to know. So if you wanted to try some for yourself without the, you know, without any demon drink involved, there you go. <laughs>
Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, I always felt a little bit left out at those occasions because I wouldn't drink the mulled wine. Um, mm. But but uh, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting interesting idea. Yeah. Very 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 passable. And um... <clears throat> I mean, the whole point of mulled wine was you know it was cold, therefore mm. you had something warming. <laughs> Yes, and it is very warming and be very nice. I do like mulled wine. So there you go. That's how to make. Um, and I think uh, we used to say my, when we had an open day at work, I told oh, right. I told the boss this trick, and um, yeah, because it was a it was a Christmas open day or something, and uh, he did the same. He said, "Oh, I'll do that then." So we had two pots. He, we had two like slow cookers with it in, and one was real red wine, and one was non-alcoholic mulled wine um for those you know people who were driving or didn't want to drink because it was in the daytime yeah. and it was very successful so there you go right shall we crack on yeah 